Heavenly Father, we do uh, rejoice uh, in knowing you. You are a God who has made yourself known. Otherwise, in our fallen state, we would never um, have uh, known you. Uh, you've revealed yourself through your word and ultimately through the word who became flesh, your own uh, son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your amazing revelation. And as we look at this part of your word today, in Psalm 25, we do pray that you would um, speak to us, um, inform our minds, but even more than that, transform our hearts um, for your glory, uh, ultimately, and our, and our ultimate joy too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Oh, well, good morning. Uh, my name's Duncan. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor here at Trinity South Coast. It's great to see you here this morning, uh, and uh, as Steve mentioned, we, we were going to have Tim Patrick sp uh, speaking on the next little chunk of John, John chapter 5, um, the last minute change obviously, but it gives us an opportunity, I think, to think through an issue uh, uh, which I know many of us actually struggle with and um, uh, have as a significant thing for us. It's an issue that can take up, uh, they can take up an incredible amount of energy actually, and anxiety and stress. Uh, it's the question of guidance. Um, when faced with the kind of dilemmas and decisions that you need to make, the kind of capacity to know which way to go, <laughs> which decision to take, which route to choose. Um, you can look for all sorts of places for guidance. Uh, uh, if I, I you know, have no idea what star sign, or I didn't have any idea what star sign I was until this morning in the early, but apparently I'm a Libra. Uh, and my horoscope for today is that you could be feeling a bit antsy today. How did they know? Uh, you, and may want to spend some time exercising or trying a new sport or game that you've never played before. This is great. Ask some friends to join you. Don't push yourself past your limits. This can only bring exhaustion or injury. 
and it won't help your fitness level. Exercise within your limitations and do it more often. Thanks. Um, I thought I just needed to exercise because I'm getting a bit unfit, but that's good. So, you know, there's all sorts of places you can go for guidance, right? This kind of word about what to do, what to choose. We long for it, actually, don't we? We long for some kind of direction and guidance, some clear, something clear in a world of kind of infinite choices, right? This, this com- complex, messy, muddy world of so many choices. We long for some kind of clarity, whether to watch that movie, what you're going to do on your weekends, what sort of job to look for, who you should marry or whether you should marry. The list goes on and on and on. All these questions that you, we long for guidance in. Um, there's different kind of versions uh, of this kind of guidance. Some of them in their more extreme forms, pretty unhelpful. Uh, there's the kind of pick a verse guidance where you might flick to one verse and see what it says for the day. So perhaps you'll go to Matthew 3 verse 4 which will tell you that John wore clothes of camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. And then you might flick to Luke 10, verse 37, and, and which says, go therefore and do likewise. So, you know, there's your John the Baptist diet for the week. Locusts and wild honey, maybe. Uh, 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 J.I. Packer, uh, the, the uh, theologian J.I. Packer, tells a story. It's kind of humorous, but actually quite sad underneath it all. Uh, of a woman who would lie in bed each morning and ask the Lord whether she was to get up or not uh, and wouldn't get out of bed until the voice told her to. It was the same with getting dressed. For each piece of clothing, she'd ask God whether she should put it on or not. And very often the Lord would tell her to put on the right shoe but not the left. Um, they're, They're kind of extreme examples of this quest, this thirst for guidance, for direction, uh, they can illustrate the ways we think about it. Or at, those, at the worst, those kind of Christian versions of guidance, at the worst, they have, I think, really serious problems. Uh, they can mistreat the Bible, uh, reading it out of context. They often don't have a strong enough view of sin. Uh, they don't recognise how easily we deceive ourselves and how easy it is for us to justify something that really is just what we want to do. Um, But I want to suggest, and particularly for those of us who might not have any kind of experience or with that kind of way of thinking about guidance, I want to suggest actually uh, that there's also something very right and good um, here. It kind of reflects an expectation. It reflects an expectation that God is actually real in your life, uh, in my life personally, intimately, and powerfully involved. And you see that kind of, that, that's the picture of God you get all through the Bible. Uh, a real God who is intimately involved and powerfully involved. You see, in reaction to those more extreme kind of ways of thinking about guidance, there's an opposite version, which is just as misguided, actually, and just as dangerous the Christian who knows all about reading the Bible in context and perhaps has a better theology, but who has no real expectation that God is personally involved in their lives, who agrees in theory that God is their guide, but in practice goes about life relying on their own strength and intellect, going every day in self-reliance rather than in dependence. 
You see, what I'm, there's, there's, there's you know, perhaps two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum we can fall on this question of guidance. Um, and friends, I think Psalm 25, while we're looking at Psalm 25, it, it really does speak to both of those and suggests a much richer and more wonderful and life-giving reality. It doesn't suggest it, it proclaims it, actually, to us, this richer reality. Psalm 25 is one of the key places in the Bible that gives a sustained reflection about this whole issue of guidance. And basically, wherever you sit, I know, and friends, I know there are uh, those among us who have a range of uh, opinions and experiences and background on this issue, and, and uh, we, uh, we are all uh, here to sit under God's Word. And wherever we sit, I hope all of us are at least a little bit um, shaped and maybe a little bit disturbed by God's Word this morning to us in Psalm 25. So it will help you to have a Bible open. I'm going to kind of flick through. I won't work through verse by verse. We'll, we'll kind of flick through the psalm. Uh, it might be hard to get the verses up on the screen as I'm flicking through, so maybe um, see how you go, but it might be more distracting to, than not. So maybe if, you've, if you do have your Bible open, that's the best way to, to keep uh, uh, up with us. We've also got this little insert which will help you to know where we're going. Um, you see right at the start of the psalm, it says it's a psalm of David, David, the greatest king of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. And David's story, if, you, if you're familiar with it, if you've read it, David's story is one of real hardship and struggle. And it's reflected in this psalm. It's written by someone who's facing a crisis. Uh, you might have picked it up through the psalm there, and we'll look at it more later, but it's written by someone, David, who feels alone and afflicted, someone who can't see the way forward. But at the same time, all the while, he's, he's, he's in real struggle and agony, but at the same time, he knows three things that make all the difference for him. He knows three things. He knows that there is a guide he knows the sort of person who is guided by this guide and he knows the sort of guidance this guide gives. <laughs> There's a lot of G's in there, sorry about that. But that's, that's sort of on, your, on the outline there. The guide, those who are guided and the guidance that this guide gives. So we're going to work through, uh, read through this, this passage and hopefully um, uh, be able to submit ourselves to it and hear it afresh today. Um, this whole question about guidance, uh, uh, the underlying fundamental reality for David is that he knows that there is a guide. Who is the guide? He is the God of covenant relationship who lovingly guides his people. The God of covenant relationship. You see that on the way through. He, he opened it up, uh, verse 1 there, if you have your Bibles there. Uh, David writes, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. When you see the word Lord there in capitals in the Old Testament, um, that, that's, uh, uh, that's the, the, a way that they kind of refer to the personal name of God, Yahweh, is what, perhaps what they would have said. Yahweh, the personal name of God, the one true God who was committed to his people to have a special relationship with them, to his, his people Israel, committed to them in covenant. And it kind of puts this psalm in the bigger picture of the Bible's story, right from creation uh, through to humanity's brokenness and rebellion against God, through to God's response in, in giving his covenant of life to Abraham, 
his promise, entering in relationship with, with Abraham and giving him his promise that through Abraham's family he would bring his blessing to the whole world. Uh, all of that is kind of touched on in this one word, Lord or Yahweh. Uh, and David says uh, that he is in uh, a personal relationship with him. Not just that God is Abraham's God or Moses' God, but my God. In you, Lord Yahweh, my God. He is his God and he is worthy of trust. He is his God and, if you flick your eye down to verse 5, he is his saviour. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Uh, Down in verse 6, this saviour, this God, has from of old shown great mercy and love. You see, David's confidence is in God, the guide, the one who will guide him, is based in the reality of God's mercy in the past, on his, God's mercy and love in the past. He is the God of covenant relationship. He is the saviour God. And he is both good and upright. If you look down in verse 8 there, uh, good and upright is the Lord. Interesting that those two things get paired together, isn't it? You see, if God was only good and not upright, uh, if he didn't care about justice or sin, he might accept us, but he wouldn't uh, love us enough to deal with our sin. He wouldn't care about our sin. Uh, But if he was only upright and not good, well, that would be a terrifying thought, wouldn't it? But Yahweh, Israel's God, is both good and upright. His goodness means he wants relationship with sinners. His uprightness means he judges their sin. He, he, he knows that it's wrong for them. And so he instructs sinners in his ways. And in verse 8 and 9, he guides and teaches the humble. Uh, the, the last kind of picture of this God, this, the guide that we get in this psalm, this, this God of covenant relationship, is if you flick your eye down to verse 14, there's something really beautiful actually hidden in this verse. Verse 14 says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. That little word confide is really, an, it's a really intimate kind of image. Another way to say it might be, The friendship of Yahweh, the friendship of the Lord, is with those who fear him. It is an amazing thing to say, an intimate, personal relationship with the God of all things. God welcomes us into his inner circle, his intimate friendship group. The Lord confides in those who fear him. And friends, this is all good the reality that there is a guide. This is what underpins all David's kind of confidence. There is a guide for him. Uh, in the midst of life's uncertainty and pain and sorrow, there is a good and just and loving guide who offers intimate relationship with sinful people. We love this. Uh, but that's not all there is to say. It could be tempting to stop at this point, but David goes on. He knows, you see, we can't talk about guidance without also talking about the character of the person who is guided, the ones who are guided, the ones who receive this guidance. 
And you see it there in verse 9, if you've got your Bible there. Who is it that God guides? He guides the humble. He guides the humble in what is right. Down in verse 12 and 14, uh, these humble ones know God is to be feared. Verse 12, who then are those who fear the Lord? Verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. It's not kind of a flinching, kind of cowering fear. They know, they know who God is, this God of the covenant, the creator God. A few chapters later in Psalms, a few Psalms later, you get this magnificent Psalm 29. And if maybe later you want to read up on why it is that these people fear God, read Psalm 29, this incredible image of God, the God of glory who thunders over the waters. Those who are guided by this guide are the humble ones who fear him. What's more, they're obedient. Did you pick that up in verse 10? All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. Uh, It's not saying that they're sinless, that they obey perfectly all the time. It's kind of just an outworking of their humility, right? To, to be compliant, to actually listen to God, to take what he says and to follow it. And friends, this is, I think, a great promise in verse 10. Did you see that? All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. God will, see what, uh, what um, David's saying here, God will never disappoint those who by his grace, always by his grace, And those who by his grace live obedient lives will never ultimately be let down. All his ways are loving and faithful. You might know the the C.S. Lewis story, The Silver Chair. Uh, Some of us probably have read the Narnia series, The Silver Chair. It's this great great sort of set of books, a great story. There's two kids in The Silver Chair, if you know the story, Jill, uh, Jill Pohl and Eustace Scrub. Right? And they're given a quest by the great lion Aslan uh, to find the lost prince of Narnia. If this is all kind of, a, you know, if you haven't read it, don't worry, you can read it later. It's a great book. Uh, but anyway, these two kids are given four signs to follow. They miss the first three signs along the way, and it leads them into trouble along the way. And then, then they're given the fourth sign. The fourth sign is uh, that the prince that they're, they're looking for, this prince, will be the first person to ask them to do something in Aslan's name. Okay, so they go on this quest to find the prince and they've got this last sign, the, the prince that Aslan has told them. The prince will be the first person to do something, to ask them to do something in Aslan's name. Anyway, they find themselves in an underground city with a marsh wiggle called Puddle Glum. Yeah. Uh, it's just great. Uh, they're in a locked room, these kids in Puddle Glum. They're in a locked, locked room with a, a, a strange knight who's dressed in black armour and he's tied to a silver chair Uh, because every night he goes into a kind of uncontrollable rage. Um, They've promised not to untie him. Uh, Then, then the sort of, the night wears on, and it gets to the time when he goes into this rage, Um, and he says this, the the knight strapped to the chair, he says, Once and for all, said the prisoner, I jewel you to set me free by all fears and all loves, by the bright skies of overland, by the great lion, by Aslan himself, I charge you. Oh, cried the three travellers as though they'd been hurt. 
It's the sign, said Puddleglum. Oh, what are we to do, said Jill? If only we knew. I think we do know, said Puddleglum. Do you mean you think everything will come right if we untie him, said Scrub? I don't know about that. If you know Puddleglum, this is one. He's really quite a kind of low kind of character. I don't know about that, said Puddleglum. You see, Aslan didn't tell Pole what would happen. He only told her what to do. That fellow will be the death of us once he's up, I shouldn't wonder. But that doesn't let us off following the sign. You see, they couldn't see how it would all pan out. Uh, And according to good old pessimist Puddleglum, there's a good chance that it would lead to their death. But they knew Aslan, right? They knew Aslan, their guide. They knew he was good. And they knew he had given them instructions for a reason, so they obeyed them. And of course, if you know the story, the, the, the knight turns out to be the lost prince and they end up escaping. goes on. Uh, these people who God guides are those who humbly fear him and obey him. Uh, not perfectly. Not, it's not talking about sinlessness. In fact, the very next thing, the third thing about this guided person is precisely that they are a sinner and they know it. Um, they acknowledge their sin and they ask for forgiveness. They ask for it confident in God's goodness. You see that in verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Verse 8, uh, he instru- the, the guide instructs sinners. Verse 11, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Verse 18, take away all my sins. You know, through this whole thing, you get a picture of someone, not who's perfectly obeys, but who knows their, knows their sin and acknowledges it and asks forgiveness, confident in, in God's goodness. They know God, they humbly know God who is to be feared. They obey him, they, they acknowledge their sin and, forgive, and ask forgiveness. And lastly, these guided people, they know that they can't face the troubles of this life on their own. They know they can't face the troubles of this life on their own. You get that in this little paragraph towards the end from verse 16 to 19. Uh, the first few verses there, if you've got your Bibles, you can see uh, there's this kind of inner turmoil in this person. There's troubles within. I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart. Free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress. Take away all my sins. Their sin and their circumstance has left, has, has left them, this person broken, lonely, afflicted. And they know it. Troubles within. But not only that, troubles without. Do you see that in verse 19? Not only kind of inward turmoil, outward Sort of opposition. Verse 19, see how numerous my enemies are, how fiercely they hate me. Well, this guided person, friends, in humility fears and obeys God. They know their sin, they confess it to him, and they know they're not strong enough to face all of that life throws on them. And the upshot of all of this is that they cast themselves on God. They long for God. They take refuge in him. They put their trust in him, their hope in him. They cry out to him 
to turn and be gracious, to show them his ways, to forgive and restore all through the psalm. Where have we come from? Uh, There is a good, willing, powerful guide who guides the humble. Uh, Friends, this is where perhaps uh, uh, we need to go. Uh, The question is, though, where does he guide them? Where does he guide them? How does he, what does he guide them into? And this is where this psalm, I think, pushes back a little on our tendency to focus on ourselves. Maybe you saw that on the way through. Uh, It's something that might be easy to miss, but I think really deeply significant here. Do you see, uh, the overwhelming theme here is that this guide guides us, that God guides us, not in our ways, but in his ways. In his ways. You see that all through the psalm, verse 4 and 5. Show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth and teach me. My hope is in you all day long. Down in verse 8, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Down in verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to to them. What is the outcome of knowing this guide? What is it that God shares with those in his inner circle of friends, (laughs) those he confides in? What is it that he shares? He teaches his ways. He shares the knowledge of his covenant in verse 14. He makes known his covenant. He's kind of another way of talking about his great plans and purposes and promises for the world. His his purpose to to take this world and renew it and bring life and peace. His promise to bring forgiveness and freedom from sin, to turn rebels into worshippers. This guide opens our eyes to see just how beautiful and big and life-giving his ways are. There's one mention of a more kind of direct, immediate guidance, and it's in verse 12 there. Uh, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the the ways they should choose. Um, There is talk of, excuse me, a more direct immediate guidance here. But do you notice all the way through the preoccupation in this psalm isn't actually on that. And you notice how David talks about it in verse 12. He doesn't ask for it. He doesn't say, please show me my ways, the way I should go. He just says that it's true. He expects that it will happen, that God will instruct in the way we should choose. But that's not David's focus here. What has captured his heart for David, what he longs for, what he asks for, is to know God's ways. And what he's saying here, I think, is before I want to think about my way, I want to be immersed in your ways, your way. It's a little bit, I think, like learning a language. I heard this illustration recently. I love hearing Mandarin spoken, Chinese Mandarin. 
So I, just have, I think it has a beautiful sound to it. I've got no idea what's going on, though. It's all a blur to me. Um, uh, but imagine if I wanted to be able to kind of join in and speak fluent, fluent Chinese, uh, to know the difference between the different tones. Uh, uh, you may, maybe you know this, uh, but I've got to be, my mum is sitting here. Hi, mum. Uh, the word for mum in, in Mandarin uh, is the same. <laughs> I didn't know that you'd be here when I said this, but it, it's not personal. The word for mum in, the, in Mandarin is the same word for horse. <laughs> Uh, it's just with a different tone, a to uh, just a different tone. So I, I don't know the tones. Is anyone speak Chinese here? Have we got Jolin? No, not here today. Um, you can ask her next week. Uh, it's the same word, just in a slightly different tone. So you really got to be careful, right? Uh, yeah, uh, ma or ma or something like that. To to totally different, uh, totally different things, right? The, uh, so imagine I want to learn the difference. Uh, I want to learn the difference between all the tones and not get into trouble. Can you imagine me saying that I want to learn this language? So I go out uh, and get myself a Chinese-English dictionary, spend a couple of, of minutes reading it, get a little inspiration, and then go and try and join the conversation. Perhaps I might even get together once or twice a month with some other people trying to learn Chinese, and we might get our dictionaries out together and read for a little bit. No, I mean, of course that's not going to do it, is it? That's not going to do it. I've got to immerse myself in it I've, over a long time to train myself to discern the difference between horse and mum, right? I've got to immerse myself in it. You see, God teaches, guides us by teaching us his ways, giving us a new way to look at the world, or if you like, on the same sort of theme, a new language to understand it with. But it takes immersion, it takes over a lifetime to train ourselves in God's ways, to think like he thinks, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. And when our heart is tuned to the ways of God, to his gospel, the expectation and the promise of this psalm is that we'll be able to see our paths more clearly, that God will instruct us in the ways we should choose so that our own way lines up with his. Uh, I, hear me clearly here, friends. I, it doesn't mean that we won't get direct kind of uh, nudges along the way or uh, direct kind of... Uh, God is free to do that. Of course he is, to kind of communicate in that more direct way. Uh, but of course, you'll, uh, if they are from God, they will always be in line with his word and they're not the main game when it comes to guidance. If we can hear this psalm rightly, uh, the main game is not actually knowing my way, but knowing God's ways. Not focusing on my plans, but on his plans, his purposes. You see, David knew, knew of God's ways, his mercy and love that were from of old. But friends, we have seen the fullness of God's ways in a way that David could never. You see that little verse 22 right down the end, I don't know if that kind of struck you as odd. Suddenly you get this verse right at the end, deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Verse 22 expands this cry for guidance in God's ways, expands it out 
to a cry for Israel's redemption. And this cry carries all the way through the Old Testament and finds its fulfilment in the coming of Jesus. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fullness of the ways of God, the fulfilment of the plan of God to redeem his people, to renew his world in life and peace, to defeat sin and death. And every time we set the alarm 10 minutes early to read our Bibles, every time we gather with God's people to remind each other of the gospel and to sit under his word as we sing and as we rejoice and as we read and as we listen, as we talk to each other, we are letting ourselves be guided, led deeper and deeper into God's ways so that they might shape ours. I just want to finish um, by perhaps having a a go at uh, maybe seeing how this might hit home for us. A couple of things that maybe don't um, aren't your kind of direct issue, but may help you think through the ways in which this might work through. Uh, So when you go home this afternoon and maybe tonight after dinner, you flick on the TV. How will you decide what to watch? Uh, Will you wait for? A particular leaning one way or the other? Will you? I mean, how? You know, it's a very mundane kind of question. How will you go about deciding what to watch on TV? I think, friends, that knowing God's ways means that you'll know. You'll know a number of things. You'll know that God created people in His image, to share in His creativity. It means you'll be able to appreciate and enjoy the creativity and gifts of others who tell good stories that make you think and that make you laugh. But knowing God's ways also means you'll know at the same time the reality of sin. You'll know how easily tempted you are, how weak you are, and how immersing yourselves in worlds of violence and sex will shape the way that you think and relate to others. See what what I'm trying to do here? We're not drawing hard and fast lines, legalistic kind of rules about what you can and can't watch on TV. That's not, that's not it at all. What we're trying to do instead is to see how knowing, loving and being immersed in God's ways will lead you in your own way, in your own ways. Uh, totally different question. Um, what about what job you'll do? Uh, that doesn't apply to everyone here, of course. Uh, But knowing God's ways will mean you'll value work as good. Work was around before the fall, right? Adam and Eve worked the garden. Uh, You'll know that work is good, but you'll also know that work is scarred by sin too. And so there'll be some jobs, some promotions you won't take because they, they just cut against God's plans, God's purposes in the world. You'll know that God made us for a relationship, and so you'll value jobs that help society to flourish in relationships of goodness and love. And you'll also know God's ultimate plan for a relationship with himself. So you'll value work that gives you opportunities to witness to Christ, work that gives you time and money to support and serve in gospel ministry. Uh, you'll hear about the CV conference coming up and be really encouraged about people going, and maybe even if you have the opportunity, you'll go yourself and consider uh, vocational ministry. That would just make sense, wouldn't it, if God's ways are true? 
Um, again, this isn't a question of sort of a list of things you must and mustn't do. It's much, I think, actually richer than that. Um, immersing ourselves in the ways of God. It requires wisdom to know how that then applies in our own lives. But we ought not to feel anxious about it, friends. God's guidance being primarily about his ways and not ours is, in the end, a wonderfully liberating thing. Do you see what it means? You don't need to, your life doesn't need to be one long, anxious quest for certainty in every one of your decisions. You don't need absolute certainty in your way because you have certainty in God's ways. You know what he's on about. You know where he's taking the world. <laughs> you know what he's done in Jesus and what he will do. You know his, plan, his purposes for your life. On the other hand, uh, it's liberating because life is not all up to you. It's not about independent self-reliance. Through Jesus, we have a God of covenant relationship who lovingly guides his people by his spirit through his word. And because of that, friends, we can walk into the future confident, even like David in the midst of great kind of hardship, but confident that no one who hopes in the Lord will ever be put to shame, ultimately confident that all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Let's pray together, friends. Now, God, please help us today. Um, please help us to hear your word well. Uh, Father, please help us to put our trust in you. We do pray that you will guide us, lead us, show us your ways, Father. Teach us your paths, guide us in your truth. For you are God, our Saviour, and our hope is in you all day long. Grow in us a deepening confidence in your plans and purposes, a knowledge of them. And Lord, may that flow over into instructing us in the ways we should choose. Lord, may we be so captivated with the gospel of our Lord Jesus that it might infuse every decision that we make. And we pray that for his glory. Amen.